Welcome to the Holistic Wealth and Health Podcast. Your co-hosts, Jason Smith and Brian Bibbo, will inspire and teach you how to prosper in your mind, body, and spirit, not just your financial life. Joining forces with field experts, Jason and Brian are here to help you focus on what matters most in your life, living well. Welcome to the Holistic Wealth and Health Podcast. I'm Jason Smith, and my good friend Jeff Wernkin is with us here today. Hey, Jeff, how are we doing? Really good. Thanks, Jason. Good, good. And uh, you may have heard me talk about Jeff before. Jeff is uh, really a pillar of our practice at JL Smith and uh, has played a huge role in helping mentor Brian and just bringing our whole tax planning management preparation business to where it is today. So I want to give him a little bit of kudos and thank you for that, Jeff. Appreciate it, Jason. Um, And Jeff, I know you don't like uh, kind of bragging about yourself, but this isn't really bragging. It's just kind of the facts. Tell us a little bit about kind of your, uh, what kind of designations you have and, you know, in the tax area, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about year-end tax planning strategies. Mm-hmm. So uh, give a little bit of, uh, you know, your educational background, you know, in the tax world. Sure. Uh, my first career was in public accounting. Uh, so I started right out of college with a firm uh, by the name of Arthur Young which at the time was one of the big eight accounting firms in the country. I remember that name. Yeah, yeah. And with them, I passed the CPA uh, test and, and gained my designation as a certified public accountant. Yeah. And then about three years into my career with Arthur Young, they actually merged with Ernst & Winnie, and that became the firm that we know of today as Ernst & Young. Yeah. So I was with them for about five years, and it really gave me a good understanding of the impact of income taxes on businesses and and also a personal finances retirement and things of that nature yeah yeah and if anything i learned that the biggest difference between what we make and what we get to take home is income taxes yeah so from there i knew i wanted to be a financial uh, advisor and i left public accounting and started my own tax practice yeah and in doing tax compliance for clients where we're actually preparing their tax return that's a very important uh, annual task, obviously, but right. but I wanted to provide more value. I wanted to actually help people with the tools and strategies that I learned in public accounting. Right, and um, so I would provide financial planning or tax planning advice, that right. forward-looking advice as to what they could do to either minimize their current taxes or minimize their future taxes. Right. And I would send the people on their way and they would come back the next year and I would say, hey, Jason, you know, last year we talked about opening a IRA or increasing your 401k contributions or things of that nature. And what do you think the answer was when I asked them if they got those things done the majority of the time? Exactly. And it's it's because life gets in the way. Yeah. Right. It just happens. So I noticed there was a real disconnect there between tax planning and actually getting the benefits of the advice that I was giving. Tax management. That's what we now call tax management. That was that missing ingredient where you're actually helping the people. And I said, you know what? Uh, You know, these relationships were forming. I cared about my clients as, you know, if we're going to make this happen and I actually, the clients are actually going to see the benefits of the advice that I'm giving. I just have to be in a position to create a practice model where we actually implement those uh, recommendations with the client and for the client yeah. and then manage them as time goes forward because right. you can't just put it in a drawer and forget about it because things change too quickly. Yeah, yeah. So while I was doing that, I uh, I passed the exam uh, to be certified as a financial planner. Yeah. I'm a certified financial planner. 
And then I also went back to school at night at the University of Akron and I got a master's degree in taxation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's how I kind of came to where I'm at today. And it, it again, it was a practice model that just kind of came naturally to me. But the reality of it is, Jeff, you and I both know it's about staying on top of all these things. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I wasn't even planning on talking about it, but really the difference of, and, and I know the listeners have heard this before, tax planning versus management versus preparation. And I think people get confused because they get tax preparation mm -hmm. and they think they're getting planning and management. Or right. maybe there's some off comments, not off comments, but like here and there, maybe similar to what you did. Mm -hmm. And previously you would like say, hey, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. And then do the people really do it? A lot of times not. Mm -hmm. So what we've kind of progress to as a firm now is we do do tax preparation for certain people as an a la carte uh, um, offering. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're strongly, um, tr we strongly try to convince them that they need a tax plan. And then if they want us to implement and basically do the tax management, then they have to become a wealth management client of the firm. And it's kind of like, I, I love the house analogy you know, tax planning is kind of like an architect creating the blueprint. Tax management is building and managing the house. And then ultimately the um, tax preparation is like the building specter coming in and, and making sure that everything. Oh, that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Up to snow. Yeah. I mean, the tax preparation is, is an important part of it. And because everything we do during the year, the strategies that we implement, uh, are all going to have tax ramifications that are going to eventually end up on the tax return. And too many times we find that um, it, it, there's a disconnect there and things don't get reported properly. And it is our most in, important annual compliance task. So, yeah. so I don't want to minimize okay. that part of it. It's, right. It is very, very important. Right. But that forward-looking tax advice, the tax planning, and then actually implementing the planning through tax management is where the clients are really going to, you're going to really bring those benefits and, you know, and, and make sure that they realize those benefits. hundred percent. And, and so much, and I think everybody will hear this as we talk through this is like the silos of the tax professional and then the investment and insurance professional is a big issue and problem. And what's broken, I, would, I know we feel the same way in our industry mm -hmm. because, you know, what happens is, is, is in reality, these two are so intertwined of the investment management, insurance, and tax, that there's, to try to silo it out, balls get dropped, things get missed, you know, opportunities absolutely are not, you know, capitalized on that otherwise could have been. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, I, you know, I love the, the saying I like like to say, and I don't I don't know where I heard this. It was years ago, but there's two types of tax, right? There's the avoidable and the unavoidable, yeah. right? <laughs> and so what we focus on is the avoidable. So it's the things that you can do to avoid additional taxation, both now and into the future. Mm -hmm. And then the unavoidable is. Uh, that's what you got to do. And that's where people get in trouble is try to skate around the unavoidable. That's how you end up in an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. don't want that. I love that point that you just made is, is because the, you know, there's strategies that you can implement now here before year end and even before April 15th of next year yeah. that you could potentially reduce your current taxes. But then there's a second uh, category right. of strategies 
that you could implement potentially to reduce future taxes. Right. So it really depends on what your, you know, what your uh, objectives are and everybody's situation is different. Um, but for me, both are important because you can't look at one without the other. And those are, you know, Jeff, to your, like, I love what you just did. I mean, you almost need to click and drop down because the avoidable has two categories. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you can do now and what you can do, you know, later, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like if you think about it, uh, tax planning and management is kind of like a game of chess, right? Yep. And you always have to be thinking several steps ahead. Yep. And Absolutely. so this next move is crucial, right? Year end, for example. Yep. But thinking about years ahead and what income you're going to be in, what kind of net worth you think you're going to be in, you know, all those type of situations and what kind of kind of assets you think you'll have accumulated or currently have that you know you're going to kind of have more of, thinking about the decisions you're making and how you are going to reduce, eliminate, or mitigate that, you know, additional taxation that you otherwise was completely avoidable. Yeah, it's really about taking control of your tax situation. And, and, and most people don't realize that you can have your own proactive tax plan. Everybody has a tax plan. Yeah. They either have their own proactive tax plan with tax management or they have the default plan. And the default plan was drafted by the U.S. Treasury. So guess which is going to be more favorable to, you know, to the client right. is to have that proactive tax plan and tax management. So it's really important about having that forward looking plan and being able to design a tax efficient income stream in yep. retirement. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Love it. Love it. So, all right, let's move on. Let's start getting yep. into the meat of it. Um, yep. Year end tax uh, saving strategies. Talk about what we can do here in the next, you know, five weeks of the year or so. You know, as we're as we're closing out December, let's check the boxes and make sure uh, that we're doing what we can. And so first thing, let's talk about, you know, maximizing deductions. Sure. Right, Jeff? Tell me about what deductions both individuals as well as maybe we'll touch on business owners as well, you know, that can what they can do to make sure that they're not missing any deductions that they can get by year end. And then, of course, there's some April 15th deadlines as well. Yep. Absolutely. So on the personal side, if you're looking to reduce your current tax bill, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is make sure that you're fully utilizing any qualified retirement plans that, that, that you have at your disposal yep. through your employer, for example. Make sure you're maximizing that, your contributions, because in most cases, those are pre-tax contributions, which are going to reduce your taxable income for the current year. Right. And if, you know, the, the limit this year is 22500 is what an individual can contribute to their 401k on a pre-tax basis. Okay. And if you're 50 or over, that limit actually goes up to 30000 so to the extent that you can, if you haven't fully utilized that deduction, that's something that you definitely want to look at doing and you can increase that now between now and the end of the year to uh, reduce your taxable income. Yep. The other thing you can do is looking at things like an IRA contribution, uh, current limit $6,500 per person. That's, that jumps up to 7,500 again if you're over the age of 50. So that can be done before the end of the year or all the way up until April 15th of next year. Right. Yep. Another. So that would be a situation if you're in a high, uh, you know, tax bracket for sure, and you want to reduce tax, you know, tax liability. Right. You want to reduce your taxes, but 
There's also, I guess, there are situations where if it's available, a Roth 401k contribution or a Roth IRA contribution, and we can talk about that in a minute, a kind of backdoor of how you can do that if your income is too high, which most of our listeners probably would be in that boat. Mm -hmm. um, but talk about Roth 401k. What situations might someone consider contributing to a Roth 401k versus traditional? You know, basically the concept... Uh, I love Ed Slot, you know, mentor of mine says that we'll be having here on the podcast. Um, it's kind of paying tax on the seed. Mm -hmm. If you're a farmer, right, and you're given the choice, do you want to pay tax on the seed or do you want to pay tax on your harvest? Uh, wh what are you going to do? The concept is you pay tax on the Roth money, whether it's 401k or IRA. That's like paying tax on the seed. And then ultimately you get a tax-free harvest mm -hmm. versus if you're doing a traditional contribution where you're getting the tax deduction on the money going in, mm -hmm. you're not paying tax on the seed, you're choosing to pay tax on the harvest when you take it out. But I tell you what, it's not cookie cutter advice, right? On the surface, right. you're like, I want to pay tax on the seed, right? right. That sounds a lot better. Mm -hmm. But there's situations you're better off to do a traditional contribution, take the tax tax deduction now. Mm -hmm. When are you better off, Jeff, to take the tax deduction now versus the Roth where you basically get it tax-free later? Uh, great question. It all depends on where the prevailing tax policy is that's coming out of Washington. Are we in a period of high tax rates like we've had in the past? I mean, back in the 80s, there was a 75% uh, top marginal tax rate. Now, not many people fell into that, right? but a lot of people were in the next bracket down, which was 50%. So if you're in a 50% tax bracket and you can contribute pre-tax to an IRA or a 401k, government's picking up 50% of that contribution. It makes all the sense in the world. Right. But fast forward to today right. with, with the 2018 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, it ushered in the lowest tax brackets and rates that I've seen in my practicing career of over 30 years. Yep. So at this point, does it really make sense to tie that money up in a in an account where every dollar coming out, you're gonna be paying tax on the harvest? Right. Right, like right. you said. Yeah. So in a low tax environment, like I believe we have today, yep. I think it makes all the sense in the world to potentially accelerate income, which would mean contributing to that Roth 401k or right. contributing to that Roth IRA. You're accelerating an income because those are after-tax contributions. You're not getting a current tax benefit. Yep. But that money is going to grow. It's going to go in, in, into the investment. It's going to uh, hopefully grow uh, substantially over time. And that growth is all going to be tax-free. And then if you just follow a few, few simple rules on the distribution side on the back end, right. all of those funds coming out, you and your family can enjoy tax-free. I say family because this is the, the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k, uh, under the, the new tax rules that were ushered into the, under Secure Act 2.0 are a much better uh, legacy asset than the traditional IRA or 401k. Right. Because in my case, for example, uh, my uh, uh, Roth IRA can pass to my spouse if I predecease her. Yeah, uh, she can continue to grow that account for the rest of her life. Yeah, and then at the second passing, those assets go to the kids, and they can continue to grow those uh, assets for another ten years. Yeah, 
And then at the end of the 10 years, all that means is they have to take the money out of the Roth. It still doesn't generate any federal, state, or local income tax at that point in time. It's huge. Yeah. And I, I think the only you know caveat for anyone who is is pretty clear that they are going to be in a substantially lower tax bracket in Correct. retirement. Correct. Um, you know, that would be because like I look at myself, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. I don't plan on being a lower tax bracket retirement. Right. right? Yeah. And so I'm Roth all day. Right. Every dollar I can get into Roth for me, my wife, my kids who do, uh, you know, contribute and work within the businesses. We're continuing to pile as much money as we can into Roth tax status because we're really not, you know, my intention and my plan is not to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. Mm -hmm. But we do have some clients that are in their highest earning years in their 50s and 60s pre-retirement. Mm -hmm. And we know that in retirement, we've done a good job of accumulating pre-tax money, like traditional 401k IRA, some post-tax money as well, and maybe some Roth money. And so we're able to manage and keep them in lower brackets in retirement. And in those scenarios, sometimes it does make sense to contribute mm -hmm. to the traditional to take the bigger deduction right now, because we have a clear path to lower taxes in retirement. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really great point. And what you described is what we call the tax efficient funnels. So we've got the pre-tax funnel or bucket, we've got the post-tax funnel, and then we've got the tax-free funnel. Yep. And look, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not all, you know, all or nothing that one's better than the other. You, you need to have all three, right? because if you have all three, regardless of what the prevailing tax policy is, uh, you're going to be able to design a, a more efficient retirement uh, distribution flow in, right. you know, uh, down the road. And... Um, you know, because we don't know what future tax rates are going to be. Yeah. I personally believe uh, there's no facts about the future, right? But I personally believe that we'll always have a bracketed tax system. I don't think we'll ever get to a flat tax. And I personally believe that we'll always have some form of a standard deduction. So if we've always got a standard deduction, that, that's free money. Okay? Right. That's a deduction right off the top that everybody gets. Yeah. Uh, and, and then if we, if we have a bracketed system, you're going to have a 0% bracket. And then you're going to have at least one or two other brackets that are fairly low tax rates. Right. And you want to use up right. those. You want to use up your standard deductions. You want to use up those lower tax brackets by yeah. by having some taxable income to absorb those. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's, it's a balancing act. Absolutely. We, you have to look at where the clients are at now, where they expect to be in retirement. Make your best guess as to what the prevailing tax policy might be. And you can look at. You know, yeah. different scenarios to kind of stress test it and uh, and then and then create the the, the plan uh, that, that gets the proper amount into the various funnels. And Jeff, um, you know, talking about year end, right? Yeah. Um, there are there's a deadline of 1231 for employees, right? Yeah. To what do they need to be looking at? And to make sure that they don't miss anything by the end of the year in regard to 401k, mainly contributions. I think that's probably the mm -hmm. time pressing deadline if there, unless there's something else. No, uh, you know, for year end, we you want to make sure that you're maximizing that contribution 
as much as possible. So if that means increasing your contribution significantly in the last couple of months or the last couple of pay periods, yep. you still have time to do that. Yep. And also uh, what goes hand in hand with that is a lot of the plans uh, have an employer matching component. So we definitely want to make sure that you at least contribute enough to get that maximum match. So all that has to be done before the end of the year. Okay, there's no going back after January 1st and fixing that. And the Roth conversions, Roth, those have to be done. If, if, if it makes sense, if you have room in your tax bracket. So let's say you're only halfway through the 12% tax bracket. Yeah. And you've got room to incur some additional income in that 12%. You've got unused Right. Capacity right. in that 12% bracket. Right. You know, does it make sense to do some Roth conversions to absorb the, the rest of that very, what I see as a very low tax bracket? Absolutely. Those have to be done and completed before the end of the Right. Yeah. So you're talking about partial Roth conversions. Because I think, Jeff, so many people think it's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's just a misconception. And they don't realize that part of tax management is every year analyzing, and especially those who have variable income, if there's mm -hmm. bonus income, if there's business owners that have variable income, mm -hmm. analyzing like, where are you at this year? Yeah. And does it make sense for us to do X amount of rock conversion to do bracket bumping, what we call bracket bumping, right? Like bump up to the highest amount that you can convert in that bracket without bumping yourself up into the next bracket. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot that goes into it, but I think if done properly, it it's, can be a highly, highly effective strategy. If from a standpoint of deductions, um, to kind of shifting gears for a second, you know, those all have to be the things that are potentially going to increase your deductions yeah. in the current year have to be done before the end. Those those would be things like state and local tax payments, yeah. uh, charitable salt. You're talking about salt, yeah. Right? State yeah. and local taxes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And what's the? Because you can even prepay those. Mm -hmm. And talk about that just for a moment, Jeff. Sure. Uh, I think is a ten thousand dollar limit. Is that yes. right? Yeah. Currently, with the 2018 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, that limited the state and local tax category of itemized deductions, what you call what we call salt, to ten thousand dollars. So for some people, it's a moot point because just with their property taxes alone, and if they're still working, their state and local income taxes go into that category. Yeah. So a, a lot of folks are going to be over that $10,000 limit uh, without any additional proactive planning. Okay. But if you're not at that limit, you can yeah. do things like you can bunch your property taxes, you can prepay. I know here uh, in this area, they, they're, they're billed in January, but you can't prepay them in December. Right. And you can bunch those deductions up. And, and same thing with your charitable contributions. Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting category. Very similar, right? Like yeah. bundling, right? Yeah. All in one year. And go ahead. Yeah. Let's talk about donor advice funds. Right? Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to the charitable category. Well, first and foremost, you know, we donate to charities because we, you know, there's, you know, we, we want to give back and, and it's a cause uh, that we, you know, that we value and feel strongly about. Yeah. The tax consequences have always been, you know, secondary. To, right. to the, you know the, the issue of giving, yeah. Um, but it's important. I mean, it's a great incentive. In, in the past, people have enjoyed a tax deduction for giving money to, to charities. Right. right. Uh, what happened is that with uh, again with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, the standard deduction uh, overnight doubled. Yeah. And so what that did is that for the majority of our clients, what we're seeing is most people, even with their state and local taxes, right their charitable contributions and mortgage interest if they still have a mortgage, 
they're not over that standard deduction. Yeah. So they're not getting any tax benefit right. for those charitable. And don't even realize it. They give all the right. information. They're still bringing in those. They're still bringing they in their receipts. And yeah. you know, you put it on the tax return. Right. But it doesn't calculate because yeah. the standard deduction is higher. And so they lose any tax benefit there. So a couple of things you can do. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, I just, a real life story to implement or to reinforce exactly what you're talking about is Holly and I, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, some people know, like we, you know, we we're building a farm, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're building a farm, you have to have a barn, right? So we build a very large barn. Well, we were, you know, it's agricultural, so we were able to take, you know, a pretty substantial tax deduction mm -hmm. over the last couple of years as we were building not just the barn, but the farm as, as a whole. There's a lot of equipment and everything else that we had to invest in. And so with that being said, we've had a donor advised fund for years. Mm -hmm. Well, we do annual contributions to different, you know, charities and things that we care about, of course. And so... What's, what was great about it is, you know, in these last couple of years, we had big deductions, right, because of the farm, of some of the big, big deductions that we did with the barn and the farm. Um, so what we did is we were able to make the contributions out of our donor advised fund mm -hmm. that we had in previous years when we were in a higher tax bracket, when we didn't have the farm deductions, mm -hmm. put a bunch of money into yep. the donor advised fund. Exactly. So it gives you the ability to put chunks of money in, mm -hmm. take the tax deduction when you can actually, you know, reap the benefits of it. And then in the years that maybe your income's not as high or you have deductions or whatever that is, then you just go ahead and keep making your contributions, but you make it right out of the donor advised fund. So it was like, it it, it worked textbook for us. Yep. Yeah. And what you're talking about is uh, we call it bunching. Uh, and then there's another concept, which the donor advised fund is really stacking those contributions. Yeah. So the bunching uh, strategy is where we bunch our itemized deductions into say every other year. Mm -hmm. So we try to have a year where we have one property tax payment and then the next year we might have three to make sure that we hit that $10,000 limit on salt. And instead of giving to charity every year, we do it every other year and bunch those deductions together right. so that we get above that standard deduction. So we get some at least some tax bang for our buck for having made those uh, those, those donations. Now, stacking, when you give to a donor-advised fund, you can give up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. So it's a pretty high limit. Yeah. So let's say you know, you're stacking multiple years. Let's say you give $5,000 a year to a charity on average. Yeah. And you say, you know what, I'm going to stack the next five, seven, 10 years, assuming you have the cash flow to do it. Of course, yeah. you know, I'm going to put in 25,000, 30,000, 50,000, whatever it is into this donor advised fund. I yeah. get the deduction yeah. all in one year, yeah. but then you can dole those uh, funds out to charities of your choice over time the, the same way that you normally would. Right. But it gives you a much bigger bang for your buck in terms of the tax deduction. And that's exactly what we did. And it was, uh, but if we would have been making, you know, yeah. So if, if you're not doing these type of things, you're going to end up missing opportunities, foregoing tax, you know, avoidable tax op opportunities yeah. that you otherwise could have had. Well, speaking of the avoidable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and, and uh, just to kind of finish up the charitable area, yeah. got to talk about the QCD, yeah. the Qualified Charitable Distribution. Now, this is only available to folks that are over the age of 70 and a half. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Not the year you turn 70 and a half. You have to actually be over the age of 70 and a half. Right. And what this is, is you can make contributions directly to the charity of your choice from your IRA. Yep. Money has to go direct from the IRA to the charity. And it, it and then you don't have to pay tax. You don't have it. to pay tax on it's it. Huge. And right? it satisfies, and it can go towards satisfying your required minimum distribution if if you are subject to to those. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, so it really does a multitude of of uh, benefits here. And I think a lot of the listeners think about your parents, think about your grandparents. Right. They may not know about this stuff, but it's meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's like a little Christmas gift. Yeah. I can give them this advice, yeah. <laughs> right? Where you can literally show where they can save money on taxes by having the qualified charitable distribution go right to the charity mm -hmm. out of their IRA, and instead of to them. Now they got to pay tax on it. Then they turn around and cut the check to the charity. Right. And in that case, as we discussed before, if you take receipt of those funds out of your IRA and then cut the check to charity, yeah. you're paying tax on that distribution. Right. But you're in a lot of cases, you're not getting the offsetting deduction because of the high standard deduction. Right. So with the QCD, it, it, it's a way of, of getting a fully deductible charitable contribution. Right. Up to a hundred thousand dollars is, yep. is the annual limit. You know, let's circle back to like how we were talking because this kind of brings both things together. We were talking about four hundred one k and IRA contributions, whether to do traditional versus Roth. Then we were talking about traditional and Roth, and even conversions and 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 opportunities to do bracket pumping and take advantage to do different conversions. Uh, similar to the to the conversation around donor advised funds of stacking and bunching, um, but the the thing that I want to talk about next, Jeff, is there's there's two opportunities and very similar, but mo a lot of people don't know about it. Number one, it's a it's a it's a backdoor Roth conversion, mm -hmm. and because there's income limits, and I'd like you to talk about that. Yep. The second thing I'd love to hear about uh, is the a mega backdoor, right? Roth conversion strategy utilizing a qualified plan, a 401k, mm -hmm. yep. and the higher amounts that you can can you know get into Roth tax status. Yep, yep. absolutely. Uh, both great legal strategies uh, yeah. and uh, part of the avoidable uh, category. The avoidable category. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, with the backdoor Roth strategy, this is something that I employ every year, and uh, the way it works is uh, because there's income limitations each year on whether or not you can make uh, both a deductible IRA contribution or a Roth IRA contribution, um, I would not otherwise be able to put money directly into my Roth IRA. Right. Or my spouse's Roth IRA. Basically, Jeff makes too much money, which most <laughs> of you listeners will be in the same category. Um you make too much money to be able to put directly into a Roth. Exactly. Right. So what you do is you contribute to an IRA, a traditional IRA. You designate that contribution as non-deductible. So you don't get a tax benefit from the deduction. And then what you can do is you can turn around and you can convert those funds into the Roth. And because you didn't take a deduction on those funds, there's no taxation on the conversion. Right. So it's a way that you get that money into the Roth that you wanted to do in the first place, but you couldn't do directly. Right. And you just have to do a conduit through the traditional IRA and then designate it as non-deductible and then convert it. You do have to be careful because there's a pro rata rule that is, you know, that could trip you up if you have other 
IRA uh, dollars. Yeah. Um, but it can be a, an effective strategy for a lot of folks. Oh, for most, right? Because even if you have the IRA, if you have the 401k option, you can put that money into the 401k and, and, I, and we've done eliminate that. the yeah. pro rata rule. Mm -hmm. um, and most people are like, what? And <laughs> we could do a whole other podcast just uh, on this topic. Yeah, yeah. So that would probably require, but this is a good example of why tax management can only really effectively be done by a firm that is also doing your wealth management, your investment management. I mean, it's oh, it's almost impossible to be able to utilize and, and capitalize on all of these strategies mm -hmm. when you're working with your professionals in silos mm -hmm. and not taking that holistic approach where it's all pulled together. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so did, uh, you asked about the mega uh, 401k, Roth 401k. Mega backdoor, yeah. Yeah, so that involves utilizing uh, your 401k plan. And a lot of the 401k plans now have been amended to allow uh, Roth contributions and also after-tax contributions. So over and above that limit that I talked about before, the 22500 if you're under 50 or 30000 if you're over 50, you could, you could designate all of that as a Roth contribution. All that money goes in after-tax, grows tax-free, comes out tax-free, all those wonderful things we talked about before. Right. But you could also make after-tax contributions over and above that up to, there's a secondary limit. It's right around 60000 It changes each year with inflation. Yep. But you can effectively almost double the amount that you're able to contribute to this plan. Now, you do have to... You do have to follow the rules. If the money goes in after tax, it doesn't go in as a Roth contribution. It goes in as an after-tax contribution. So once it hits the plan, you have to do what's called an in-plan conversion. Right. Which you know most of the plan sponsors and custodians are familiar with this. Right. Uh, but you do have to you know cross your t's and dot your i's. Yep. Once you do the in-plan conversion, there's no tax on that because similar to the backdoor Roth that we just talked about, that you're converting after-tax money that you never took a deduction on. Right. So there's no tax on the conversion that truly gets it into the Roth bucket inside of the 401k where it can grow for the rest of your working years. And then when you retire, you can you can pour that out into a, a, a Roth IRA yep. and then go into retirement with that and eventually leave that uh, you know, as a legacy. And I, I would say, Jeff, this is one of the things that so many small business owners and even employees of, uh, of companies don't realize that they can take advantage of. And how many business owners and even employees that we've gotten them to go lobby the owners of the business mm -hmm. to make the change to the plan document right. to just allow it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is something the IRS allows you to do. If you have the discretionary income or money, ability to direct where your excess cash flow is that you're not consuming or living off of, why wouldn't you want to direct it into the right places, which is what a backdoor Roth IRA, a backdoor Roth 401k, the mega backdoor, mm -hmm. why we call it mega is you can only do 6,500 or 7,500 for the IRAs. For the 401k, you're talking like 60 grand-ish, right? And you bring up a great point. This is the one area, uh, there may be others, but it's the one area that I know of where the IRS rules are actually... Uh, secondary to the plan rules. So while the IRS allows things like in-service distributions, after-tax contributions, Roth, all, all these sorts of things, the plan has to allow it. 
So the plan has to be amended to take advantage of these things. It's not in this day and age, it's not a big deal there, you know, to amend an existing plan. Right. But again, a lot of times it, it's it's where you have to lobby the employer to, to go out and, and make these benefits available through the plan. Awesome. Let's uh let's keep moving on. There's so many good things. There's no way we're gonna be able to talk about it all. <laughs> but right now is open enrollment. And I do, I would like to touch on like the importance of people looking at HSAs and FSAs, which are more rare, right? The the medical or dependent care FSAs. But for those who have the opportunity to take advantage, I mean, to me, I don't think there's anything better than an HSA. You get right. triple benefit, right? Talk right. about that, Jeff. Yeah, I, I love the health savings account, and we'll touch on the uh, FSA's flexible spending account. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. But the health savings account is is one of my favorite assets in that tax-free funnel that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Because of the triple tax benefits. It, with this type of account, you actually get a deduction for the money you put in. Right. It grows tax-free. And it comes out tax-free if you follow the rules, meaning you use it to reimburse for qualified medical expenses. It's a triple whammy. It yeah. is. It, it really is. And there's no time limit as to when you reimburse yourself. So if, if you were in a situation, you know, in, in years gone by, uh, I had to put money, I put money into my health savings account, but then a lot of times I had to withdraw a, a, a good chunk of it to pay for deductibles and, yeah. and um, you know, things like that, co-payments and, and so on and so forth. Um, so you've made withdrawals, withdrawals. In, in prior years, yeah. but in, in recent years, Knockwood, we've been lucky enough to be able to pay what out-of-pocket expenses we do have, um, you know, with current income. Yeah. So we're putting money into the HSA and investing it, and we're not taking it out. Right. We're using that as a tax-free sinking fund right. for, you know, for retirement, uh, for, for medical costs or, or healthcare coverage costs in retirement. Right. Yeah. And it's so flexible. I mean, you could buy a pack of Band-Aids with it. You can go to the chiropractor. Yeah. You can, I mean, I haven't looked in recent years, but years ago, I was really blown away. You could buy uh, long-term care insurance or pay for long-term care or home health care or mm -hmm. just any of these things you might need, likely it will be. for Medicare for pay premiums. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cobra uh, premiums. Um, yeah. If, if you have that. So there, there is a great deal of flexibility, but just make sure that you, you know, at the end of the year, I, I use, um, and I recommend everybody use uh, some type of uh, financial software. Yeah. Okay. The end of the year, I, I print out my medical expenses, everything I've categorized as medical, yeah. out of pocket, yeah. print it out, I throw it in a file Yeah. so that five, 10, 15 years down the road, when I go to reimburse myself for those expenses, I have a record of it. You so important. That. Keep those records, especially for medical expenses, if you have an HSA, because it'll give you the ability to take out a lump sum of all that HSA money, all tax-free in one year. Yep. So you can accumulate all those expenses over 30 years. And then at the end of the day, you'll be able to withdraw it all in one year with no tax whatsoever. Yep. So it's almost like a loophole, but it's sort of in the avoidable or could, category. Or you could draw it out as a monthly income. Right. You know, yeah. as, long, as long as you have the medical expenses in the past to, to, to justify it. It's not a problem. So compared to a Roth, think about like a Roth IRA. We know how great that sounds versus a traditional IRA or 401k, right? To pay tax on the seed versus the harvest. But on a HSA, you're literally not paying tax on the seed or right. the harvest. Yes, exactly. 
Exactly. Now, you, you, again, as with all of this stuff, the caveat is you have to follow the rules. Right. And in order to be eligible for a health savings account, you have to have what's called a high deductible health plan. So for a high deductible, uh, for minimum deductible for a single person is $1,500. For a family plan, it's $3,000. So it's not a huge hurdle. Yeah. But you mentioned open enrollment, and that's why this is so important, because if you want to have a, a health savings account, you still have time to do it. But if you're not in a high deductible plan, you can move into a high deductible plan before the end of the year, yep. start the health savings account, and you can contribute for this year, this tax year, up until April 15th of next year. And that's why open enrollment right now for a lot of people, if there's that window, super important to pay attention to it. Uh, the flexible spending account, I'll just yes. mention that real quickly. Uh, that's something that's only a, available through, you know, sponsored through an employer. Yep. So this is where you commit to having a certain amount of dollars deducted from your paycheck pre-tax. And it goes into a fund. And it, it not only is it, it's, it's federal and state and local tax-free. Um, and, uh, you know, the money can come out to help reimburse for medical expenses and things of that nature. Yep. But you wanna be careful because it's a use it or lose it situation. So money you commit to that plan, if you don't use it by the end of the year, um, there's a very limited amount that you can carry over into future years. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's good. The other, uh, the other thing I do wanna to touch on, Jeff, is like thinking about year end, mm -hmm. there's tax loss harvesting mm -hmm. and there's tax gain harvesting. Mm -hmm. And so basically intentionally, you know, memorializing those gains uh, because of your current tax situation. Can you talk a little bit about what is tax loss harvesting? What is tax gain harvesting? I talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when might, in what scenarios might you want to be looking at each one of these things and why do you want to do these things? Mm -hmm. um, gr another great question. So, if you're in a low-income environment, whether that's the case or whether you engineer that, okay, and we can talk a little bit more about what I mean uh, in that regard, but if you're in a low-tax environment, you might want to do capital gain harvesting. You might have some stock that you bought in a brokerage account that is uh, highly appreciated, and, you know, for whatever reason, it's time to cash in, right. okay? Either you need the money or you've decided that that, you know, it's come full circle and this is as good as it's going to get. It's hit its targets. Right. And now's the time to sell and move on. Yeah. Reinvest in something else. Well, if you're in a, the, the capital gains rate up to a certain amount of income is zero. Right. So you may want to do look at that capital gain harvesting because you could potentially pay zero tax yeah. on those capital gains. Right. And then the opposite is what we call the tax loss harvesting. So that is more for your higher income earners. And in after-tax brokerage accounts or after-tax investments where they've got highly appreciated assets, typically if you own a diversified portfolio of, of stocks, right? Uh, just like the pistons in an engine, you, you know, at any given day, some are gonna be up, some are gonna be down. Yep. Okay. And if you wanna, a lot of times we look at, uh, or the manager of the fund looks at selling the ones that are in a gain position, right? which can throw off, um, capital gain income that you have to pay tax on. Right. And in a lot of cases, if you apply tax management to or tax loss harvesting to that situation, you can find some of your uh, positions that maybe are underwater and you can sell those to offset that gain. Yep. 
And so a lot of cases you can minimize or even eliminate that gain or end up with a net capital loss. You can deduct up to $3,000 of net capital loss. Yeah. Now, if that's an asset that you want to hold long-term, you right. can buy it back after you satisfy what's called the wash sale rules. You have to hold it for, it's a 60 day period that begins 30 days before or after the sale. Right. Just want to make sure that you satisfy that before you go back into it. You know, so there are situations where you could do tax loss harvesting because why not go ahead and memorialize those losses to offset otherwise what will turn out to be gains that you're going to have to pay tax on next right. year. Right. Then on the flip side, there's situations where you have losses, right? And if you're not managing this and aware of it throughout the year, right? Again, the coordination of the investment management with the tax management. But if you are aware and these things are coordinated, you might realize, whoa, hold on, I have some loss opportunity here. Let's memorialize some gains to go ahead and take advantage of this window of losses. I made a mistake years ago, Jeff, I'm talking many years ago, 20 years ago, where I had sold um, investments that had losses. And then I had carry forward losses forever. It felt like three grand a year Yeah. where if I would have been more strategic about it before I knew better, mm -hmm. you know, I would have not sold it all, you know, that year I would have sold the rest of it the next year and being able to, you know, offset and, and play this game that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So applying that tax management to your, uh, you know, your investment portfolio that's not in an IRA or a 401k. Yeah. Because in there, the capital gains are, are not recognized or realized um, and you're taxed as you withdraw the money out. So this is on after-tax investments, typically the brokerage account, right. stocks and mutual funds and those types of things. Yeah. And th talking about year-end, Jeff, as we're kind of landing the plane on, the, on, on our time together, um, I think the other thing that people miss the opportunity is like, they just do their taxes come April or some people file an extension and do them mm -hmm. by October. And it's kind of like, you just give all the information to whoever's preparing your taxes and it is what it is, right? Versus right now, um, I mean, this is getting late in the game, right? But you still could do it. Do a mock pro forma, model out what your tax return looks like for 2023. Yeah. So you can figure out what opportunities. Is there a partial Roth conversion? Is that, you know, a lot of these things we've been talking about today, if you don't have clarity, if you don't have your eyes wide open of what your current tax situation is real time that year, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to make those decisions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm uh, surprise, surprise. I model my uh, taxes out during the year right. projected based on what we, you know, what I already know is come in and then what yeah. I think is coming in the rest I basically of the year. do my taxes quarterly. Absolutely. Right. Like yeah. to make sure I'm always yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. Do the same thing. Yep. And and that's what I encourage that our clients do. And we're busy doing that type of year end planning right now just to make sure that everything is to see if we have room for additional Roth conversions, if that's something that we're doing or if they can benefit from any of the other tools or strategies that we talked about here today. Yep. Jeff, anything else that uh, that I didn't hit on that we should be uh, that we should uh, educate everybody on on year end? Uh, we sure talked about a lot, Jason. <laughs> and like you said, a lot of these topics you could spend you know an entire day on. 
Um, but I think just the overall view that we gave people, an overview of things that they should be thinking about. And then it's not something that you just do at year end. Year end is a very important uh, part of it, but you really should be thinking about this all during the year. Yeah. Uh, and um, just to have that awareness and to work with someone who is knowledgeable in this area and can do not just the tax planning, but also the tax management, I think is is huge. There's one other thing I just popped, just thought of. Uh, actually, I was just kind of looking at my notes. Sure. Like, I don't want to miss something. And there was the one thing, and it's for those people that, and, and it ties right to what we've already talked about, but it's a component of it, is there is highly appreciated stock or low cost basis stock. Mm -hmm. You can contribute that to a donor advised fund. Yes. Right. Yes. Now that's huge mm -hmm. because not only are you getting the tax deduction, but you're also basically washing out the deferred tax liability on that money of that investment. That exactly. So you, you've got an appreciated stock. And if you donate it to the donor advised fund, um, you get a, a, a full charitable deduction for the fair market value. Right. Uh, and you can deduct that up to 30% of your adjusted gross income right. currently. Yeah. And then the charity can turn around and sell the stock and, and, and use the proceeds for their charitable purposes, and they don't pay any capital gains tax. So that would be gifting it. Can you do it to a donor advised fund, or is it only directly to a charity? Can either. You, either one? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and the last piece on thinking of highly appreciated stock and gifting, um, for those that have done really well for themselves, or they have parents that have done really well for themselves, and potentially are, are facing an estate tax issue down the line or currently, mm -hmm. um, Gifting that so the gift what's the gifting limit seven seventeen seventeen thousand dollars is the, That's annual, the annual gift limit yep. yeah and what that by utilizing that annual gift it doesn't erode uh, your what they call the, your unified credit right yeah each individual can give up to a certain amount during their lifetime to another individual or individuals. Uh, or through their estate at death, and they're very high limits right now. Yeah. And so the $17,000 annual limit, you can gift that amount to any one individual, uh, and it doesn't go against that lifetime unified credit. Right. Yep. Yep. And you can gift highly appreciated stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So think about that for, you know, a situation where you, people you're gifting to, maybe you have kids who financially, from an income standpoint, haven't done as well as you yet. <laughs> um, you're able to kind of gift highly appreciated stock by, uh, and then ultimately they can pay the tax on that stock gain a lower bracket. Right. They, they get their basis. You don't get the the step up in cost basis right. when you gift. Right. Um, so they they would still recognize that capital gain when they sell, but presumably yeah. they may be in a lower tax bracket. Right. Right. Exactly. Excellent. So uh, what is, uh, uh, what's the current uh, landscape on the federal estate tax? What's it at now? And when's it due to go back down again? No idea. <laughs> you got me. On that. I think it's around ten million, but I thought cut you, that out, Rob. No, normally, you know the exact number. You know, I was gonna. Yeah, yeah that's why I looked up oh, this type of content. You have to have those numbers. Oh, you know? it's all good. And I yes. looked it up. I, I, right. I want to say it's twelve, like twelve or thirteen million. Person. And then, it, it's I, like I in three or four years, it goes back down. way back yeah, down. I'm, I'm not up to date.
All right. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you got some great tips and ideas of how you can save money and, on current as well as future tax uh, liabilities for you and your family. Uh, please reach out to us as, if there's any questions you have or any way we might be able to help you in navigating through this tax management journey. And thank you for being here today, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you, Jason, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Holistic Wealth and Health Podcast. We hope we inspired you to make changes so you can live your best life. If you want to find out more about what we do, or if you want to have a Holistic Wealth and Health financial plan, please call 456-833-7000. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it widely with your friends and family.